Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What's up? Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Uh, hanging on Tuesday. Monday Night Football was last night. We have to talk about that, unfortunately. My man Kirk Cousins had a rough night. Uh, you saw the D Wade Lebron game. We're gonna break yeah. that down a little bit. Uh, did you tear up? Well, uh, D Wade Lebron, yeah. I didn't even catch it. Didn't didn't tear up at all. Uh, and there's a new recruiting tactic that I can't believe is taking place. And also, there's more drama with the Bills. No shock there. Uh, before we get started on the game last night, so last uh, this morning I was getting ready. My six year old, she always comes in and she'll be like, "What are you doing, Dad?" Like getting ready. Yeah. And she'll ask for everything that I do. So like, if I have a little pomade for the hair, she's like, "Give me some." Right. Like, deodorant. She's like, "Give me some." Right. Uh, uh, cologne. Like, give me some. Right. So she said, I'm getting ready, and she's watching me get ready, and she said, she said, Dad, you look like a principal. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I thought I looked kind of nice today, right, you know? right. but I guess I look like a little bit like a principal. We got Professor Danny again. Professor, I guess so, yeah. Professor I Danny Cannell. I thought it was a good look. It's good, like, dude, it's good look. It's a great look. If you're listening to podcasts, you have no idea what we're talking about, make sure you go to CBS Sports HQ and flip it on, because we're on every single day at 10 a.m. You can watch us streaming online, so make sure you do that. All right. So I tried to push it off as long as I could. The the Vikings were on the road, an opportunity to keep their playoff hopes alive, to kind of make a real strong statement after laying an egg last week against the New England Patriots. And guess what they do? I know what they do. <laughs> they, I've been telling you what they do. They laid another egg, and there's no defense for it. Like, Kirk Cousins is quickly becoming a guy that's getting a reputation as – Puts up a lot of stats and games that don't matter, but when it t- comes time for the big moments, and whether that's against winning teams with teams over a 500 record or it's playing in prime time, it has not been pretty. He's four and 24 versus winning teams. The stats are right there. Um, 0 and five this year, 0 and seven on Monday Night Football, uh, and in prime time games he's five and 13. You said it yesterday. Sometimes, right? Yeah. Who's, who quote? Who'd you quote? Denny Green. You yeah. are what your record says you are, right? Yes. And and look, I don't. I don't dispute the fact that Kirk Cousins is an upper echelon NFL quarterback. Like, if if you're breaking it into the the the, the above averages and and the below averages, he's in the very lower tier of the above averages for me. So right. he's an upper level quarterback, but that doesn't mean that you can you, you can win at the NFL level consistently enough to give your team a chance to vie for a championship. Second and, highest paid quarterback behind Matt Ryan as far as guaranteed at signing. He's fully guaranteed the three year deal, fully guaranteed, eighty four million dollars. That's part of it. If you're getting paid that much money, people have high expectations for you. You mentioned the tiers that he's in. He's still in. He's still playing the exact same way he did with the Redskins, which I've always been a fan of him. Like, he's top 10 in every category. Green's like 9 or 10 in a lot of those categories, but passing yardage, touchdowns, uh, completion percentage, he's actually like in the top 3 or 4. So he's getting it done statistically, but... Winning changes the perception of every quarterback out there. And some some quarterbacks that aren't very good because they win, everybody thinks they're real good and then they're really not. And on the flip side, some guys like Kirk Cousins, I think he's better than what his record says he is. But at some point, you have to prove it. You have to go out there and win games that people say you can't. And he hasn't I, been able to do that. First of all, Kirk Cousins finished the game last night with 204 yards, 208 yards. Most of those were in the fourth quarter when it really didn't matter. Right. Like they, you know, like right. I, I watched that. Here's Kirk Cousins when he got drafted behind RG3. I thought he was that lovable underdog. Like, you know, everybody 
knew that he could have probably got picked on another team. Like he had good years at Michigan State, but they selected him. It, once he got a chance to play, I felt like he had a chip on his shoulder that people kind of embraced. You would see him in the in, in the yeah. tunnels talking about how you like that or yeah. whatever whatever his stick yeah, was. The viral uh, sensation. But now I think like you lose perspective on that, right? Like you you, you know what changes. Eighty-four million. No, dollars. yeah, and, and look at you. You start to become slightly entitled. The expectations for you change, um, and the way people perceive that persona that you have now flips from being like he's the lovable underdog that keeps getting screwed by the Redskins to like, yo, dog, you just got the eighty-four million dollar bag. Like, right. what, what are you going to do for us? Right. And you know, they caught a cl- clip. Will Brinson tweeted it last night. I heard it live where he checked it down to Adam Thielen. Right. It was like a little screen pass. Adam Thielen got upfield and he yelled something to the effect of, "Yo, it's been there all effing day." Right. right. Um, I asked you this when I saw Kirk Cousins not pick a lineman up. He strikes me as the type of dude that isn't the most well received in his own locker room. I don't know why. Right. But he just comes across like that to me. Maybe it's his face. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, like there are face. dudes with like his face. I don't know. Like, right. he comes across as a dude that people don't like. I don't know, but he was also the same guy that was out there having fun with the stupid dance. They were, I don't even know what that thing was. I don't know. Dance. I don't know what it was. They were having some fun with that. Uh, but I think it's more concerning that Thielen's yelling. Last week against the Patriots, you saw Stefan Diggs coming over and getting animated that he wasn't getting enough balls, wasn't catching it. So I think, again, like it just compounds the pressure on Kirk Cousins, the money that's out there. Hold, I gotta, I gotta read you this tweet, but we have Emery Hunt on every Thursday yeah. for our picks. He might not be allowed back on. You know what he tweeted <laughs> last night during the game? I just tell me he shot me out. No, no, no. Because <laughs> he knows how I get down. No sign on this right. one. I can't imagine spending $84 million on something that doesn't work. Boom. I think that's a little harsh from a man, Emery. It's year one. He'll get more and more comfortable in this system as it, as they go on. True. So I think like to say it's a bust now or to say it's not worth it. Plus you're like, it's a, fr- he's a franchise quarterback. Like nobody's arguing yeah. against that. I don't. It's just that it's just he has not won the big game and he has to do that. I think it's similar to Clayton. Well, Clayton Kershaw is an insane pitcher. Like he's one of the best pitchers in the regular season. Right. And then he has to get over this hump of the postseason woes. He can't get past him, even though he's had some performances in the postseason. So that's where so, it's not like Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback statistically. Correct. And then he can't win the big game. So it's correct. a little bit different. Yes, he's a franchise quarterback. We can admit that 84 million guarantee was probably an overswing and overreach. This team earlier in the season, our whole thing was, well, their defense hasn't lived up to the hype. Um, their defense is rounding into form. Like they, they, now Seattle ran the heck out of the ball last night, yeah. which I'm sure we're going to get to, but they didn't have a whole lot of success in the air. They were getting after Russell Wilson a little bit, but so if you have this defense back, um, and you've got your offensive weapons back and you've just substituted Case Keenum for, for, um, for Kirk Cousins, yeah, it like is, that's it's says, hard to explain. It, it does look like it's the quarterback because he's still working with the same weapons. They added Dalvin Cook, who wasn't uh, now, healthy. You, last you've got it. Like there's some. It is. It is on him. It's fascinating play callers. So they're calling things a little bit differently, but there has to be some point where you're like, all right, you got to get it done. Like, yeah. you have to get it done. So it'll be interesting to see how they finish out this season because I don't think it's been a total disaster yet, but it depends on how it finishes. So is this one of the good losses for them? Like, because yesterday we went through all their good <laughs> Why losses. I'm just one. saying. It was I'm on asking. The road. It all right, was on the road. And to a good Seattle team, a good loss, another good loss. Oh, for the... At some point, you got to beat somebody because <laughs> all the losses are turned out good. Uh, on the flip side, though, the Seahawks I think have been a pleasant surprise this season. Yeah, I, their winning formula has been what got them to the Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, and got them back to it. It's take the like because I think they got into the the habit of we have Russell Wilson, sure, top five quarterback. He can just he can make it work, right? And then he was out putting the team on his back last year, and they've said, you know what, that really isn't a model for winning. 
So they re- they're rebuilding the defense, bunch of young players, and they're asking Russell Wilson to do a lot less, and they're running the football. And yeah. I think we've gotten, I think we've had a little bit of a correction in the NFL because we saw all these high flying offenses running around there, throwing it all over the place, putting up huge passing yardage, and all of a sudden we're seeing teams like the Bears knock off the Rams, uh-huh. defense and running. We're yep. seeing Seattle emerge, defense and running the football. We're seeing Dallas Cowboys, defense and running the football. I think we've seen a little bit of correction. And I think there's a couple things about it. One, there's more tape on teams, so they're able to shut down. I think also weather becomes a factor. Like, it's not as easy. We saw Jared Goff struggle immensely in that weather. So, like, you have to travel, and that's where defense and run game always translate. Yeah, if you can, in those cold weather scenarios, yes, uh, this is a formula for winning. I do believe um, that it's been a pretty remarkable transformation from one year to the next. Like, when... The amount of offense that Russell Wilson accounted for last year in yeah. Seattle was staggering. Like it was unfair. Yeah. You know? And uh to be able to put together a run game like this, not to mention the defensive side of the ball, when you lose the Legion of Boom and you've got all that stuff go- going on with um what's the dude's name? The, the safety Earl uh Earl Thomas yeah. and all of that, the distractions of that. Camp, right. Issues, you you know? you've you've now got a solid D and your DNA is back to running the ball, which I believe um, is the recipe for that team. Not every team, but for that team. Here's the deal, though. I do think that they have to find a way to get Russell Wilson a little bit more involved in the game. Totally. I don't think you can win against the upper echelon NFL teams when he's only throwing the ball like 20 times. You know, yeah. he's got to be involved because he is a top five, top 10 quarterback, right. right? You can't have the 29th best pass game. You can't do that. That's right. not sustainable in terms of like playoff success. But you know what's really nice is knowing that you have that in the back pocket. Like, you know, knowing that you could throw it and he could throw for 350 yards if you had to. Like, I think, but they do have to get more balanced, but that'll come. Like, if you're, that's the thing. If you're running the football, there's nothing more demoralizing for a defense than running it over them. Yeah. So why even risk it? Like, just keep hammering it down their throats and win that way. But I think that's the one good thing is that they do have Russell Wilson in the pass game in there. Although they're dealing with some injuries at the wide receiver position where they've kind of been dictated a little bit. Yeah. Where they have to run it more. Dude, let me, seriously, I was going to ask you, Doug Baldwin. Yeah. I know he plays for the Seahawks. Yep. I don't know another wide receiver for the Seahawks. I don't. Like well, they, that's that's the problem they had ran into last night. So they got Tyler Lockett, uh, okay. David Moore, but they're not. These aren't these aren't names. At least I know Tyler Lockett across the NFL. Right, right. He's he's a name that you've heard. Right. Of. But they are definitely thin at wide receiver, especially when you're talking about injury to Baldwin. So that'll be something they have to deal with. But actually, like this is a team that. It's funny, like. What do you think their What do you think their ceiling is? Like, what do you What do you think they're like? I mean, they've got to see the thing. Could they I, win I a think, Super Bowl? I don't think so. I don't think they can win a Could they win a playoff first-round game? But in this year, like, really, if there's a couple – I still think the Rams and Saints, even though they're both – the past couple weeks have not been special, mm-hmm. I still think they're the cream of the crop in the NFC. I still think I would pick them to play in the NFC Conference Correct. game. But we've seen crazy things happen. We've seen parity. We've seen that the Rams and uh, Saints aren't exactly invincible. Like, I could see the Seahawks making a run. I would never bet on it or put money on it. But I could see them making a run. So both teams in the NFC that they'd have to get through potentially that are just going to air it out, score a lot of points, um, take the air out of the ball, just pound it yeah. down their throat, right? Yeah, That's a, probably one of the best ways to – That's to, what we saw the Cowboys do to the yeah. uh, Saints when they played them uh, a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, I think that would absolutely be the, the philosophy there. Uh, the Browns also have been having some recent success, which brings up what do you do with Greg Williams? Interim coach. We saw his personality on uh, Hard Knocks where he – you know, he's a very – again, another alpha, alpha male type personality – I think they need to clean house. I think while you have the opportunity, I know they've had success. I know things are going better. They're three and one the last four games. Uh, their defense has been playing better. Baker Mayfield's been playing better. Yeah. But I think that's more a result of Freddie, Freddie Kitchens on the offensive side of the ball calling the plays than it is Greg Williams. And I still think this team has 
talent. Like I think that's it's kind of speaks to how dysfunctional it was with Hugh Jackson. But I think you have to be real careful that you don't just say, "Oh, well, it looks pretty good here to finish the season and keep Greg Williams." Like you better be a hundred and ten percent sure that he's your guy. And I just don't think there's any way they could say that. Right. Um, you would have to get like a ringing endorsement from multiple people, including Baker Mayfield. Um, to retain Greg Williams. Greg Williams was the coach of the Bills for three years. He was 20 years ago. Right. He was seven, he was 17 and 31. Um, you know what I mean? And his personality is one that appears to have a shelf life. So like he's the guy that you can plug in at the end of a season and might be able to kind of rally the troops, tough guy you into a few wins. But eventually that's going to start falling on deaf ears, kind of a la the Chicago Bulls situation, although theirs has gone the opposite way. But he seems like a short-term plan. If you can get one of these young, innovative dudes, um, you don't even have to be young if he's an older dude who, who's got an innovative offensive mind that can help Baker Mayfield grow and be that number one pick, then that's the way you got to go. I don't know Greg Williams. I think it's interesting because we're sitting here. We don't know the locker room, though. Like right. I, Maybe the players love him. Like, I don't know this. I don't know. If, I don't, if that's the case and the players love him, then I think you evaluate it a little bit differently if you're John Dorsey. If there's... You know, if you just kind of caught this lightning in a bottle and the team's been winning, they're having fun just because he's not there. Correct. Like that, and Correct. That, that's that's more of my hunch that they've just been freed because they don't have right. this cloud of who's going to be our coach and a lack of respect for the coach. I think you have to explore the other options that are out there, but you better make sure you have the right option. Yeah. Like and that's what that's what I think is kind of a tricky situation because you want to make sure this look, is the hire. Like if he's a laughing stock. If he's stock. your guy, you'll know. You'll yeah. have you'll have like. 10 dudes coming into your office on just without being requested to come in and be like, Hey man, I need to talk to you, man. Look, what this guy's doing is really special. Like we really like him. Everybody's responding to what he does. I just felt like I needed to tell you that. Like that's me as a player coming into the GM. If I really feel like that's the guy, right? If you're not getting that kind of feedback from the guys around him. And one of them ain't Baker Mayfield. Then you need to keep it moving. Exactly. And I think that's where these are one of those ones where I think you do. You, this is the most important job of a general manager is you have to have a, and a coach. You have to have a pulse of your team. Right. Like what does your team, what are they saying behind closed doors? And that's where you kind of have to have your moles, like your leader yeah. that you kind of have relationship. Bill Parcells was legendary with that. He'd have a couple favorites. Yeah. And those guys were in his ear telling him what was going on. And you know, you kind of don't like those guys if they're your teammate. Right. Kind of feel like they're suck ups and they're brown nosers. But they are vital to a guy, you know, a, some a leader in an organization. They're vital to the success and the decision making process. Ty Corbin tried to get me to be one of those for oh, Utah. Oh, he did. First order of business when he got the job, he was like, "Yo, I need you to be like my eyes and ears in the locker room. I need you to be like the conduit between me and the team." I'm like, "Yeah, dog, I got you. Don't worry about it." <laughs> You're right. <laughs> now, did everywhere like, did you beat it, Mike D'Antoni? Did he have any other coach? Nah, type of Mike and his staff had a good enough relationship with us. We were like one big family. It wasn't like the coaches and the players. It, it was just all of us. You know what I mean? And so he, they knew. It was transparent. Like right. there was a clear flow of communication. Ty Corbin wanted you to be a spy. Ty Corbin wanted I was a double agent on his mind, <laughs> See, bro. Is, Got you, bro. That is messed up. I'm glad you did <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Uh, the Lakers and Heat played last night. LeBron and D-Wade, last time they matched up, they did the jersey swap after. Very emotional affair. I can tell you were impacted by it personally. 
I could care less. <laughs> so, Ooh, like, seriously, what? Why is it a? It's a thing because of the success they had. Because every, it's such a public friendship. Like everybody knows about the bromance. Okay, but you ain't a part of the friendship. I, I agree, but people like fans. They love this type of stuff. All right, or I'll... you hate it. Like I don't love the fact that they're chummy after they're supposed to be on opposite sides of the ball. It's not like right. they're very competitive though. Um, so it doesn't bother as much on this situation, but when they played in the past or when you see best buds playing in the playoffs and they're out right. there hugging before the game and at halftime and after the game, that bothers me somewhat. But I do think it is interesting the way they changed the game. Like, and when I say the game, I mean the NBA because now you're seeing Travel. more often. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. He just took four steps into it. Hey, oh, sorry. Last game there. <laughs> Let him do that. But I think it's like they were the original ones who brought the big three together. They orchestrated this move. They recruited Chris Cross to come join them. And I think it's become much more widely accepted, and other guys have tried to do it too. When you look at the Rockets, so that was a complete disaster. Chris Paul trying to bring his boy Carmelo Anthony, Anthony in there. Yep. But I think it made it more acceptable to try to uh, assemble these super teams from the players' perspective. Um, yes, I think they get too much credit for that. Well, neither one of them gets too much credit individually because they were both fantastic. Um, and D-Wade's one of the top. You know, it's, it's debatable, but he's a top four, five, two guard of all time, right? Like you right. get, some people say number three. Some people, I've heard heat, heat homers say number two. That's ridiculous. Um, but he's a top five, two guard. So neither one of them gets too much credit individually. But for changing the NBA, look, they only responded. LeBron, and D-Wade decided to super team in the East because the Boston Celtics had already super teamed in the East. You already had um, Big Ticket. You had, um, what's his name, Paul Pierce. Yep. And you had uh, Ray Allen yeah. in their prime. Like that. That is a super team. Now, none of them were the best player on the planet at the time, but they had already assembled like three top-tier at their position, all-stars, um, and no one was able to beat them for a minute in the Eastern Conference. And so that was the reaction. The the, the heat was a reaction to that. So I do think they get a little too much credit um, for shaping it because the first domino to fall in the modern era in terms of the super team was the Boston Celtics, and their super team was a reaction to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I look at it, I get jealous when I see him, not now, not last night, not the, but when they actually got to play together. Yeah. Because like, I had a lot of friends that I met and played with in college or, you know, college, not high school because nobody went and played in college. After right, that. right, right, right. In college, there were a lot of guys that played with that played in the NFL. When you get in the NFL, you play on a team for a couple of years, you develop friendships, and you never get to pick and choose who you can play with. Like, right. We were joking yesterday about my fifth and fifth through eighth grade girls basketball team and how friends are trying to stay together. Sure. Like sometimes you can manipulate it at that age, but rarely can you manipulate the system where you can play with one of your best friends at the highest level of the game? Yeah. So like from that perspective, I'm kind of jealous. No. Cause I would like, like Jake Plummer and I, who I backed up, we were like best buds. Like we right. hung out all the time. He was my wedding. Like he's a great dude. We had a blast. Now I got cut and they didn't ask Jake Plummer, like if he was cool with that. He was upset about it. <laughs> right. I wish they would have. But like from that perspective, I would have been fine being his backup for 10 years. Correct. You know, just hanging out with your bud. Um, so I can attest to this. Like I played on a lot of teams and I had, I had good times on all of them. And people always ask me, what was your favorite stop? And it was the Phoenix Suns for, for like, no question about it. And part of it was because we were winning, but I had a chance. Like Steve was one of my buddies. Like I had played with him in Dallas, Steve Nash. And so when I had a chance to go to Phoenix, yeah, I wanted to win. The system looked great, but I knew I got a chance to play with Steve again. And you know, the, the, the bond that we had and then thusly the rest of our team had together was what made that a really, really special time. So like winning and stuff is cool. We didn't win championships. Like I am envious of that. Right. You know, I, I would have liked to right. have won championships like they did. 
But man, they just had to have a blast. That had to be probably, if you would ask them, those were the best times of their career. Sure, LeBron bringing a championship back to Cleveland probably holds a, a, a place in his heart. It's probably, um, a special place for him, a special moment. But those Miami teams, I would bet if you asked them, being able to play with your friend, travel with your friend, kick it with your friend, win with your friends, like that's a special thing. And not only that, but they're, they're, Significant others are tight. Their kids are absolutely. Tight. Like you're, they all like your your whole life is yeah. just more enjoyable because you're getting to spend it with people that you uh, care and love. No uh, doubt. So it's pretty cool for that one. Uh, the Chicago Crybabies. I think it's a bad <laughs> name for you because I think you dubbed that. You went in on them yesterday. The baby, the Crybaby boys. I was shocked. I thought you would have taken the player side a little bit more, but the drama is continuing because after the mutiny, where you know only two players stayed out and actually practiced, the other rest of the team were like, "Nope, we're not doing it." Yeah. They had a uh, meeting with Jim Boylan. They're supposedly put it behind. Him. Boylan said it was a great meeting. Like said everything was good. We're moving in the right direction. Well, apparently not, because several Bulls players have actually reached out to the uh, the Players Association and have complained about what they believe to be quote extreme tactics used by Boylan. After taking the helm uh, from fired coach Fred Horvick on Monday, Boylan held three two and a half hour practices in his first week. That included extra wind sprints and players doing military-style push-ups. Calling for another lengthy practice after the back-to-back led to a near mutiny and caused the players to reach out to the union, sources said. Um, my favorite part of this story is uh, when they were playing the Kings and they lost 108-89. to They led by 11 at half, and then they were outscored 63-33 to in the second half. Dead legs, maybe. Maybe they're on to something. My favorite part of this legs. is that a Kings, the Kings players were walking back to their locker room after the game and they were yelling and chaunting them, saying, uh-oh, another two-and-a-half-hour practice for them tomorrow. <laughs> That's my favorite part of this story. Um, Kings were giving them a hard time. Uh, you know when extreme tactics are necessary? When you have a bunch when of ex- butts. When extreme <laughs> losing is what's happening on your – yeah, what do you – guys, what your professional basketball players – if you keep rolling out there, and I know that Laurie Markinen's been injured, Denzel Valentine's been injured, um, Chris Dunn has been injured, Bobby Portis has been injured, like, there have been a lot of injuries. Some of that speaks to maybe Fred Hoiberg, like, given a very short leash there. They should have probably allowed him to see what that team looked like, um, when he was healthy. But again, that speaks to maybe front office and ownership seeing just a bad mojo in the locker room. The result really not being the issue, but the mojo in general being the issue. But if you're a basketball player, football player, baseball player, whatever team sport you're on, and you're getting smoked like the Bulls are getting smoked, regardless of whether you're missing five good players, you're all still professionals. Yeah. You're getting rolled like that. What's a coach supposed to do with you? And- supposed to practice you less? <laughs> is he supposed to come in there and bring you donuts? Like, what's, what is he supposed to do with you? He's supposed to practice your little poop butts even harder than he's been working you. And that's just the way sports are. These little, these dudes are so coddled. Again, from the time they are 10, 11 years old, they are recruited. Their families are recruited. Their pro- promises are made. This didn't start happening to us until high school, Danny. High school and maybe co- mostly college. Right. This is happening at 10 year olds now. They go to one year of damn college, right? They get everything they want there. Otherwise you ain't going to that college. And then they kick them into the NBA. You don't think they're going to be snot nosed brats? They are definitely dealing with that. So I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often though, the mutiny. Like, cause there were, I've been in a lot of locker rooms where nobody respects the coach and usually you're able to be professionals because their paychecks are involved right. and you can, in the NFL, they'll cut you and your contracts aren't guaranteed. Correct. I think that's where the NBA players have more than anybody. Sure. Are there, is there any rule? Cause, uh, in NFL, there are specific rules about off-season training. Yeah. No, there are. Off-season practice, there are some. How many padded practices? But like, do you think there's anything Boylan is doing that 
Like just because they Look, have two and a half hour practices. What, what, I, I don't know the letter of the law, but when we came into the league with Jerry Sloan, Larry Brown, those guys would practice you two hours in the morning, beat the hell out of you. You go home, you get a meal, you get a nap. Um, two hours later, you come back, and they beat the hell out of you for two and a half more hours. That's <laughs> right. the way it went. And then the league in did. Season. No, 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 no. This is You're, training camp. Right. This is training camp. But in season, you practice as long as they wanted you to practice. You, you did your job. Right. If you were a good team, you practice less. If you were a bad team, you practice more. <laughs> right. It's the way it went. Um, the, the league did step in and put in some parameters in terms of what you could do in training camps. I don't know what the letter of the law says in season. Two and a half hours. It's a little long. It doesn't seem out of the – listen, an NBA player wakes up in the morning. He doesn't have a game, right? He practices at, like, what, let's say, 11 o'clock. Right. You, you have to be in, like, let's say two you get in there. Two hours, at, you're done by 2 o'clock. Say you get in there at – and home. Dude, you get in there at 9.30, right? You get your you get your weights in. You get your extra shots up. You see the trainer. Um, You go from 11 to, to, to 1.30, right? Mm-hmm. 1.30, you're, you, get your, you get your ice and stuff. You're at home by 2.30. At the latest, with nothing to do for the rest of the day. What is your problem? Go there and practice. Do your job. Extra wind sprints. Ooh. Oh, sorry. Or military style push up. Dude, do you know? Listen, man. Oh, Danny, I want to just break everything in here right now. Look, we had a practice. We were in Phoenix. This was the same year I told you about last year. It's a miserable year for the Jazz, right? We just, we were injured. But again, like, I know the Bulls are injured. You think Jerry Sloan cared that we were injured? Think Jerry Sloan cared that Mehmet Okor couldn't play or or Carlos Boozer couldn't play? He didn't care. He was taking out the frustrations on the rest of us. We went to Phoenix, had a practice in some high school gym. We didn't touch a basketball. <laughs> we, honest to God, at the professional level, did not touch a basketball. We were all hungover, right? Because <laughs> yeah, they, right? we went in there and all we did was run for an hour and a half. Run, 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 run. And when we didn't run hard enough, he would stop it. Yell at us and tell us about how if John Stockton was in the gym, he would have won every damn wind sprint. But that was what, that was what you did. And I have the utmost respect for Jerry. Did I love that all the time? No. But Jerry was a tough dude who was about winning. He was fair. And if we had been winning and doing our jobs right, guess what we wouldn't have had to do? All of them extra wind sprints. But don't you think the players respected Jerry Sloan? It's where they, I love Jerry they Sloan. They liked him, right. I love it. I think this team has zero respect for Boylan, which is an issue because Boylan keeps going, because Boylan doesn't have a resume like Sloan did. Boylan's going back to saying, Hey, I, I coach with Pop. This is, you know, I know what it takes, but he hasn't done it himself. Well, I think that's why he's struggling so much. Could be, but I would, I would then, I would rebut with what have you all done? Right. Exactly. First done. One, what, one of the reports said that they screamed at him, you're not Greg Popovich. <laughs> you know what? This is such a lack of respect on no, the players. But, it's ridiculous. But what do you do? Scream like, back at them. You're not Michael Jordan. You're not Scottie Pippen. You're not BJ Armstrong. Right. You're not John Paxson. Like, who the hell are, like, they, none of them have accomplished anything. And I don't mean to be, look, you're clearly good basketball players, right. really good in some cases, but you haven't won anything. That man's job is to help steward you in the direction of winning. If the front office got it wrong, that, that will bear itself out. But for right now, he is the head coach, and you need to fall in line and do your job. They, the thing that I hate about it is it totally feels like they did that move where they were winning at half, and then they were like, oh, we'll show him what is having its impact on us. And then they went out there and played totally flat and not caring because they wanted to make a statement. So you think that was statement second half? Like I think we're so. going to shut this yeah, we're down? Gonna, yeah, we're, we're, we're gassed. That's a whole nother level of exactly. like treachery. But, but listen to all this stuff. There's, they don't respect their coach. If I'm boiling, you know what I do? I have a team meeting, which they already had, and they said it was going the right direction. I said, you guys don't want these two and a half hour practices? I'll, we'll give you off if you win. 
Every single time you win, you'll have off the next day. That's it. There's yeah, no that's better compromise. motivational tool to uh, to professional athletes than giving them a day off. So I'm gonna there. I'm gonna Go be like uh, what's uh, Adrian? You've seen him. You can't win. Like when she's talking to Rocky about Drago, that team's not rolling out beating many teams. But I look that would show a little bit of faith from the coach, right? If I was a player, like okay, he's not just gonna kill me even if we win. Right here, the the Bulls, right? Let's take it a step above the coach, like John Paxson and them. When he came in, he had Bill Cartwright, right? Um, the kind of players coach. Then you got Scotty Skiles, right? Yep. He's really like taskmaster. Then you go to Vinny Del Negro, players coach, right? Then you go Tom Thibodeau, taskmaster. Fred Hoiberg, players coach. Then you go to Jim Boylan, taskmaster. Like, dude, you have to, what are you, what are we doing? Like, right. who are we? What is, what is, what is the DNA of the Bulls? I feel like there's a lot of like, like a lot of swing in the direction of the franchise. And that's why I say, if you're always addressing the coach level and down and nothing really has changed over the last decade, at what point do you go to the level above that and maybe address some change there? I don't, I'm, I'm just saying, right? Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on and, and it speaks to, I think, a higher level of, 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 um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Dysfunction? Dysfunction. Good yeah. word. Thank you. And what, I mean, I, I don't think this is the last we hear of it. I'll be interested to see if the union responds and, and takes the player's side. They better not. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because I think this is uh, definitely a story that's going to continue throughout the NBA season. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, I have been all over the map on this team this season. Mm. I think the Steelers are complete frauds. Rock. And so I, that's my final final decision like okay. i am not i'm not going to go back i'm not going to sway back and say oh you know what they've got all this talent on that side of the roster i totally ignored one of the basic tenets that i will not ever get away from you have to have good leadership you have to have consistency and you have to have team chemistry like those are some just basic tenets that i think you have to have a successful team Leadership, I think, has been lacking from two people, from Mike Tom Mike Tomlin and I think from Ben Roethlisberger, two most important positions in that franchise that you have. I think they've lacked the leadership there. Um, I think the chemistry in the locker room has been thrown off somewhat by the Le'Veon Bell situation, the uncertainty that was around that, guys calling him out. I guarantee you there are factions within that locker room, too, that say, I can't believe you guys threw Le'Veon on the bus. And there's other sides that are like, sure. oh, he didn't come play for us. Like, sure. I guarantee you those have, uh, have cropped up. And then consistency. Like, you have to... You have to be consistent. You can't be so up and down. And I know it's been an up and down season uh, for a lot of teams, but this team, to me, just does not look like the real deal. And I think they're a mess. And I think they've had opportunities where, for instance, like when they beat uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road and they were down 16 nothing, they came back. In my mind, I was thinking, oh, they're a good team because they found out a way to win ugly. Right. Instead, I think I totally misread it and was like, they're a bad, they're an okay team that beat a bad team and that shouldn't have never been close. Correct. They found a way to win. It was a win ugly. And now oh. they've lost three in a row. And, a, and so after the Broncos game, you had Ben throwing dudes under the bus. Yep. The Chargers just look like a better team. And then the show me game where you're contending for the playoffs, you're supposed to go and dominate a team like the Raiders. They get beat on the road. And I know it's on the road, but you're supposed to handle the Raiders by 10 points or more. I mean, at least that's what the spread said. Yeah, that's uh, one of the good teams. Good teams win, great teams cover. Nah, but no, seriously, like you, you go on the road in a game, um, that you're supposed to win and you don't win in any league, especially like they're bad team. Like the, the Raiders are a bad team. We're not talking about a decent team that you're supposed to be. We're talking about a bad team and you're supposed to be a really good team. You lose that game. Something went wrong. And you know, I, I would agree with you that I think it's an internal thing. I think that. Last year, there was a lot of dysfunction with the Steelers, and it was all projected, like, you know, outwardly. There was a lot of media that caught wind of it. Uh, those problems don't just go away. 
Uh, I think they did a better job this year of keeping them in-house, aside from the Le'Veon Bell situation, which was its own entity. It might have been the best thing to happen because, like, the Le'Veon Bell thing probably took the conversation away from all the other stuff that's probably going on in that locker room, right? right? And I think you can only keep that stuff in and keep playing despite it for so long. And to your point about, you know, Ben starting to chirp a little bit after the uh, the uh, Denver game, yeah. that stuff starts to come out and it's been festering for a long time and it may just be catching up to you. I, do, I just, I can't believe, because I, 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 I was fooled by this theory that maybe Mike Tomlin, his teams thrive under adversity, like they like the drama. Right. This, you can't have that. You just can't have that much drama. And if at some point, when you hit adversity, when you lose the Broncos, that's when you start seeing adversity affect you negatively and it becomes where you can't even overcome it. So that's why they've lost a couple in a row. And I get like to Ben's point, I guarantee their players are looking around that locker room after the, you know, a bad game he has said, well, is he going to blame himself? Cause he's throwing that, you know, yeah, right. everybody else under the bus. Why is he throwing, uh, you know, himself under the bus? Um, all right, let's get the hand up because right. We're going to socially relevant Coca. Yes, we are. Thank you. <laughs> Here we go, guys. All right, so we have another conspiracy theory in the NBA. You guys remember Kyrie Irving's flat earth theory, right? Yep. Okay, it's gotten Crazy. worse. Crazy. Crazy. It's bro. gotten worse. Now Steph Curry has got the hot takes. He appeared on Vince Carter and Kent Bazemore's podcast where he mentioned that he thinks humans never landed on the moon. He said, mm. quote, we ever been on the moon? Apparently multiple responders then said nope. And Curry said, they're going to come get us. I don't think so either. Andre Iguodala was also on the podcast alongside Steph. So, Damian Raja, would either of you uh, care to explain what's happening here? Um, I know a lot of people that don't believe we landed on the moon. Like I really, I do. <laughs> My trainer, he's a good friend of mine, right? Would give you like a laundry list of data and supported articles and videos, all attesting to the fact that we didn't land on the moon. I know multiple people like that. I do happen to believe that we landed <laughs> on the moon, but I'm gonna say like I don't know that Steph is in a like sh- clearly he's in the minority, but I don't know how how much of a minority they are. There are no, a lot of people that believe out that. There, but I think they're conspiracy theorists. And yeah. some conspiracy theorists I tend to believe in. Here's the problem with YouTube. Well, both yeah. and I like my kids are on YouTube all the time. You can find a video that makes the case for any conspiracy theory. There's some pretty believable ones about right. the, the. And then if you so have you heard the theory that Stanley Kubrick, the the famous director of Clockwork Orange, he actually is the one who that directed it. All. He directed yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And if you look at some of those old videos, they do look kind of corny, like fake. The moon looks like a movie set. Like it, I can see where it is. But my question to Steph Curry and anybody else who says they didn't, well, are we like what? What's the belief that no one's still been there? Because we have video now, and we see astronauts talking from space and doing live interviews. Right. Like, did you just not think it happened then, and then maybe the Russians did it first? Or like, I don't understand. What's the where, actual conspiracy? Yeah, and like, where's is, the line drawn to where? Or do you still think it's all one big sham and nobody's? Where does it end? Right. Where does it end? Like, what are they? What's next? What are we going to stop believing next? So I wonder though, like generally conspiracy theorists, if you can, if if you're. If you subscribe to one conspiracy theory, then it's in your DNA, right? Right, like, so right. You're, you're, you believe them all. So I'm on to like, Steph, the more interesting question to me is like, what other conspiracies do you believe in? Like, right. I'd, I'd want to know that. Are you? Go watch the, sh- go watch the, the documentary on Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. The moon landing and then watch the shining and see all the numerical <laughs> things they put in there and the hints and clues. You've watched this. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, all right. I, I gotta check it out. Yeah, I'll say this. I'll say to Steph Curry, he needs to go tell Buzz Aldrin about it because Buzz Aldrin, one of the astronauts that landed on the moon, Punched a dude, a moon conspiracy guy, because the guy was telling him he didn't land on the moon. So he punched the dude. So I want to see Steph go do it to Buzz Aldrin. Wait, so are there any conspiracy theories that you guys firmly believe in? No. 
No, none. Ron, none. You I will never no? say never. I will never say never. No, I mean JFK shooting one. I'll believe anything on that. Yeah, I mean there there's stuff that like I'm I'm not sure of what happened, but like real conspiracy theorists like. You know, like with the towers and right. all that stuff, some of that stuff. Like, I don't, I'm not, right. I don't subscribe to any of them. You could pitch me an idea on some things and I'd be like, nah, I'm you know what, Hannah? I, I, like, I tend not to believe most things I hear. <laughs> like, I'm always a little bit skeptic, right? right. So, a Debo, Debo got me hooked on a conspiracy theories podcast. That's pretty good. And they have all these, like, there's a hundred podcasts on various yeah. conspiracy theories. Every single one, they like make you think about different things you assumed were true. All right. Raja, I got you though. I have some celebrity gossip that I believe is never true. So we okay, can join forces on that one. All right. <laughs> some conspiracies behind that one. Okay. Over to a different form of education, guys. We're talking video games now. So when you're a player who joins a team midway through the season, there's a lot that you have to learn. And quarterback Josh Johnson is being honest about the way that he studies his team. So after Washington's 40 to 16 loss to the Giants, Johnson told reporters that he played Madden to help him remember his teammates' names. That's fantastic. He said, quote, coming in on a short week, you learn there's so many moving parts. But for me, I play Madden. So I was able to get on Madden and learn my teammates' names. So Washington is is the 12th team that Johnson has spent time with since he was drafted in 2008. Danian Raja, this isn't that bad of an idea, is it? It's a great idea. It's got to be tough. You had, you had a cakewalk. You only to go on a new team, you got like 12, 13, 12, 13 guys. guys correct. You have 53 players. You got seven or eight practice squad. You got coaches all over the board. But the most important thing you want to learn so that you save your butt is the playbook. And you have to spend all your time studying the playbook. So the last thing you're worried about are names. Right. I've been in huddles before where I didn't know some of the offensive What was your go-to for not knowing a guy's name? Like, what was your greeting? Uh, Bud? Yeah, probably Bud, Bud or Bro yeah, or Bro, dude. dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be man, like, like, my guy, my dude, yeah, dog. Exactly. Like, yeah. That's well, how Coach I just Bowden, Bobby Bowden famously didn't know, like, half the roster at Florida State. That's so fantastic. it was always, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. And, like, and then you got old. And you yeah. thought he knew your name. If he used Buddy, you're like, does that mean he doesn't know me, or is that just like? Is that what? Right, right, right. Yeah, like he definitely didn't. That's know. Who is Josh Johnson? All right, so everybody has loved the Jimmy Butler to the 76ers move. They've been playing better, uh, although he did get hurt, uh, hurt his groin. You know who really loved it? Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> they loved it the they most because they didn't have the dude. <laughs> over them. Uh, but Joel Embiid was one guy who has. Not been frustrated with the move, but frustrated with the transition. So yeah. he had some com- comments to Philly.com that are pretty interesting. He said, I haven't been myself lately. I think it's mainly because the way I've been used, which is I'm being used as a spacer. I guess a stretch five, which I'm only shooting 22% uh, from three-point range. But it seems like the past couple games, like the way I play or st- set up, Coach Brown always has me starting on the perimeter, and it really just frustrates me. My body feels great, and it's just I haven't been playing well. We sometimes have to space the floor a lot of time. Actually, with the way our plays are set up, I tend to spend a lot of time in the perimeter, so it's an adjustment. Stop. Brown responded, said, I don't want to connect those dots, but I think in general we all have to do a better job creating space for Joel. Look, there's there's going to be a period of adjustment where everyone's trying to figure out how they can be the best version of themselves when you integrate a piece like Jimmy Butler, who is a very good player and is going to command the ball and is going to command the ball um, in a way where you will make concessions with other pieces on the floor to get him the ball where he wants it. He's that good of a player. You wouldn't do that for everybody. Like You're not doing that for just your average player. But for a Jimmy Butler talent, I'm going to ask the other four guys on the floor to maybe play out of position for a minute so Jimmy can get it where he wants it. Do you uh, it, it, any problem with Embiid speaking? As I, do, I do. I do. I don't know. He's an immature player. I think he's like a social media. It's fun, but I think he, the way he yaps with other players, I think he's immature, and I think this was just an immature statement. No, I talked to Debo, and Debo's hope is that he means – 
He's just disappointed in the way he's playing. Mm -hmm. And if that is a sentiment, then I'm okay with that. But then say that. Like, really, whenever you come out and talk about being frustrated with what's happening within your organization, like, that's something that shouldn't be aired to the media. Like, that's, that's an in-house thing. Like, that's a, co that's a coach player talk. Hey, coach, listen. Like, I would do it with, 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 with Mike D'Antoni sometimes. Like, Mike, you know, I feel like I'm going through the whole first quarter. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not getting a touch. And then, you know, when I come out in the second quarter and I start getting all these touches, like I'm not in the rhythm of the game. And so Mike would work that out. Even though I was like the fourth or fifth option on that team, you know what Mike would do? He'd start the, start the half or start the quarter by calling a play for me just so I could get one in the air and I felt better. And whether he thought that gave us the best chance to win or not, he knew it helped me mentally yeah. and that was his job so those are conversations that you have with him not with the media exactly bro. see that's where i think it's the you know the young player mistake immature mistake is now that you've aired this out like there's no problem with you being disgruntled with the way your your role is fitting in the team go to brett brown sure go to jimmy butler he's the leader of the team and say hey man what can we do differently like is there anything i can do better uh, don't do that well don't do that. you don't want to mess with that no no but i mean like if we're an assistant coach anybody but the media but the media like, yeah i so here's another question for Embiid, right? Like you were 28.3 a game maybe when, when Jimmy wasn't there. You're down to like 23.2. Like shooting percentages all, on all of those have dropped a bit. Um, it begs the question, like, do you care more about the 28.3 or the wins? Like, do you want to be a 28.3 and 13 guy on a team that gets knocked out in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs? Or do you want to be a 23 point and 10 rebound guy that may shoot 5% less from the field on a team that, that, that is in the Eastern Conference championship? And that's, that's, you know, that's totally a real fair question. question. But here's the, here's the whole issue. If he never says this to media, we're not asking that question. But because he did, oh. it makes us all wonder. Absolutely. Like, what are you thinking? Like, is that why you're complaining? Is that why you're not happy? So that's why I keep your mouth shut. Look. On instance. I will, I will always say this. I know this is my job now and I know like, but athletes in general, people care about what you say to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. But for your career, it's not a good idea to be airing your business in the streets, even if it's good stuff, even if it's not negative. I know it helps build your brand and all of that stuff. And so like from a business perspective, but purely an on the court, what's happening in your locker room or with your organization, airing anything is bad. That stuff's a family. It's in-house. Thanks for listening to Canel and Bell. Download and subscribe to us anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the pod. And while you're at it, you might as well follow us on Twitter at Canel and Bell. <laughs>